Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. We are due to speak to Professor Anton Harbour, who is the Executive Director of the Campaign for Free Expression and the Caxton Professor of Journalism at Wits University. Professor Harbour, are you with us? I am. I know. Oh, Yes, I, yes, I can indeed. Um, thank you very much for joining us. Um, I was intrigued by an article you wrote, it appeared in, in Business Live last week, well, that's why I saw it, which deals, links the, let's call it, as you call it, the fact-free story of the, uh, of the Sitoli decouplets or the Tembisa 10 of, of, of about a year ago and the extraordinary low point of journalism and what, what impact that that sort of story and that sort of extraordinary reporting has does on an industry that appears to be in some sort in, in, in some fair trouble in presenting facts correctly and battling, as you call it, battling disinformation. What 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 for you did this extraordinary story, what low point did it strike for you? Well, I wrote about it in my weekly um, uh, business day column because it's an anniversary. It's, it's, it's what would have been the, the first birthday of the fictional uh, 10. But I thought it was worth going back to it because it really, South African journalism has its fair share of low points, but this to me was the lowest. Not just because the story was entirely fictional, and independent newspapers allowed itself to be so badly misled, but because they they have tried a year later to still maintain that falsity, um, and in fact, dug a deeper and deeper hole. And for me, um, it came at a time when all journalists are grappling against the impact of social media and the spread of malicious disinformation, and uh, an industry that's under enormous financial pressure with shrunken newsrooms, and a whole range of of financial and economic difficulties. Within that, we all know as journalists, our most important task is to show that we're journalists, we're different, we verify, we base what we do on facts, and that we have an important role to play. You know, the more disinformation, the more there's a mass of, of, of information out there, we have an increasingly important role to play in picking out what's important and contextualizing it and verifying it Mm. and then putting it into um, consumable stories. Mm. And when a newspaper goes so horribly rogue Mm. as the independent group newspapers have gone and uh, publish a story like that and stick with a story like that a year later, then it undermines all those efforts. Mm. It feeds those who would maliciously, (coughs) excuse me, who would maliciously undermine journalism. What strikes me about that particular incident, I mean, it was almost, I mean, if, if you saw it as a April, April Fool's Day event, it, 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 everyone would say it, it, it's, it's nonsense, it can't possibly be true. What, it, it's just, so, it seems so extreme. That what, what do you think are the factors behind the papers hooking onto an issue like that from, its, from the, the journalist who, who wrote the article to the newspaper proprietor? Well, I think there's a couple of things one must say here. The first is that the basics were not done. The basics are verification. So, yes, the journalist who happened to be the editor of the Pretoria News got the story of this couple who were pretending they had, uh, she had uh, 10 babies inside her. 
Um, he never spoke to a doctor. When he said they were born, he never spoke to a hospital. Uh, there was just no verification. Okay, mistakes happen. Journalists mm. get it wrong. But, but it became clear within about 24 hours that the story was suspicious. Mm. The fact is that um, they've never accepted that. They came up mm. with some concoction about how they were the victim of um, trafficking, of human trafficking. And I mean, we all looked and followed and waited for the evidence. And a year later, mm -hmm. there's been not an iota mm -hmm. of evidence in that regard. So that's the first thing. They just didn't follow the basic rules mm -hmm. of verification. One has to say that uh, this editor was someone who was at the heart of the problems the Sunday Times had um, a few years ago mm -hmm. that led them to retract and apologize and suffer terribly for three stories they did um, that suffered from similar mm. problems. So the extraordinary thing that was that a journalist who was at that stage discredited um, should be hired as an editor and then protected when he does it again. Mm. So, so, so to me, that points to an industry in trouble. Mm. If we can't deal with uh, people and, and institutions that are so rogue, mm. it's harming all of us. It's harming our society. Uh, it's harming journalism then we have to ask why we can't face up to it mm. and do it. I mean, I, you recall better than me, but I recall there was a time, um, you know, certain titles notwithstanding, where the quality of South African journalism and editorship was, was very high. I suppose it was very much the pre-social media era. So I'm assuming that one of the issues is must be falling circulation, the change in, in, in dynamic in 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 a whole lot of commercial uh, senses. So it looks like, could this story have been a sort of bizarre attempt to boost circulation figures in a really declining market? Yes, I suspect so. They saw a potentially big story that would go around the world and boost their, uh, and boost their brands. Um, it, of course, backfired because even though all newspapers are down, independent newspapers are in total collapse. Um, their circulations, I mean, the Pretorian news is down to under 2000, you know, it's wow. a sort of school mm -hmm. newspaper level, as I said in my column. Yeah, so, so look, the, the, the root problems are global problems. Mm. And the rise of the internet put newspapering into an unsustainable state. Mm -hmm. And uh, the switch to online newspapers, only now are we beginning to see some of the big global newspapers succeeded that, but most other newspapers have suffered terribly, mm. particularly local and regional newspapers around the world. Mm. The rise of social media compounded that because what it did was it opened up this world of disinformation. I mean, we've always had disinformation, mm, mm. Um, but it became much easier to do and go viral and uh, much more damaging. So everywhere people are struggling, societies, journalists, media industries are struggling with how to, how to counter mm. um, this flood of disinformation. And the answer, of course, is good, solid, reliable, trustworthy journalism right. and rebuilding that. And then something like this happens to undermine it. Right. Um, and as the uh, uh, professor of journalism admits, um, how in, in recent years, uh, how, what sort of quality of candidates are you are you getting the the the, the is there a, 
a desire to really seek the truth, given the fact that you can get away with almost everything, anything because of this, because of social media. Actually, I want to react to something you said earlier, then I'll come back mm. to that if mm. I may. You know, I would be careful of glamorizing um, our journalism of previous eras. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you said our journalism was good. There was some good journalism, there's no question. Yeah. I, I did sort of qualify, but a bit back to front. <laughs> There was also some very bad and Mm. and a lot of journalism that has an enormous amount to account for its role during the apartheid era. Mm. So let's let's be careful of suggesting there was a glorious day for for newspapers in this country. There were certainly some glorious examples of brave and excellent journalism. But sorry, now your question was... Uh, Just essentially, yeah, essentially the the nature of the... uh, As the... um, Professor Journalism admits. Yes. Oh, um, yes. What sort of responses oh, you you're getting from and the quality of the of 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 students and their responses to the need to deal with the issue of fact over disinformation? No, look, there's still an interest in journalism. Mm-hmm. There are still smart, interesting young people who want to be journalists. Of course, we get a mix of students. Mm-hmm. Um, um, so so, and that's always the case. Uh, but they are certainly some very good people who are intrigued and interested and involved in trying to forge out a new path for journalism. You know, it is so different to when I learned to be a journalist. The skills you need, uh, the the access we have and we don't have, the way in which one approaches the story, the way in which one distributes the story, all of it is so different that um, we're all having to relearn all the time. And young people have the advantage, of course, that they um, are much more comfortable in the digital environment, uh, most often, not always, but most often. And they, you know, they're digital natives, so they take to it. For them, it's not yeah. such a huge, they don't have this huge baggage right. to carry um, and relearn. Um, mm. So, you, uh, you know, and, and, and let me say, journalism is, is more interesting and more exciting than ever. It's, mm. more, diffi- it's more difficult, but it's easier. Mm. I mean, Using the internet, the capacity of the internet to communicate, to reach people, to find people, to research, yeah. is something we never had. Uh, we actually had to go out and see what was happening. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it wasn't wasn't the uh, criminal court the sort of starting point for a lot of uh, training in the field? No, you know, you, we all did as young reporters. You did time in the magistrates' court, then you did what was the supreme court. And if you were really good, you got to what was the appeal court. And it was fantastic basic training, because if you got something wrong, the judge would call you up and berate you. <laughs> and there were teams of lawyers looking for you to make errors. Mm. So believe me, you learned how to, how to do it. Mm. Because newsrooms are, are you know, they, they're a third at best of the size they were when I was a young journalist. Um, there isn't that level of... Mm capacity to take young journalists through those kinds of ropes mm. i know we 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 do a year-long intensive honors degree in journalism for career entry what we have to pack into that year is no more than the first steps in getting involved in journalism okay mm-hmm. you know you have to learn to write video mm. deal with audio um, you have to learn to research on the internet it's a mm. the the range and level of skills you need now is is quite different and it's much more mm. challenging and mm. exciting. So let me yeah. say that it's more difficult, but it's also fantastically more exciting.
Yeah, and I, I get, I've noticed just a comment um, in reading news items in over the last three years, I, I've generally got the sense that the quality of play news reporting, um, I'm talking about the, the written word, um, has, you can see that the, the young journalists are start, have start, have have got to got to do what they do better. They they the, the sequence of their facts is better. Their their conclusions are reached at the right point, etc. And it's it's actually been noticeable. I mean, obviously, you still see the exceptions who are floundering a bit, but that that actual change I'm aware of as a as a as a reader. In fact, that's a column I wrote a few weeks ago. Um, oh, okay. Appealing for more reporting and less hmm. opinion. Yes. Saying, saying that because of the cutting in costs, we're getting more and more opinion, less and less reporting, mm. and um, a lower quality of very basic reporting and editing. Mm -hmm. So let me say, uh, you know, often the first people to get cut in a newsroom are the editors and sub-editors and the line editors, and you can see it mm. in the online mm. publications. Um, stuff gets through that should that should never get through mm. a half decent editor, and that's mm. because they they're, they're cutting corners um, mm. to save money. Mm. So you're absolutely right, and but the big task is a rebuilding task. Yes, um, and um, and fortunately we're seeing that start to happen in some places mm -hmm. um, as as global online newspapers find their feet and start to make money again. Mm -hmm. um, hopefully that will filter down mm. to the rest of journalism. Yeah. Can I change tack uh, completely and, and ask you about being the executive director of the campaign for free expression? What is the campaign for free expression? Exactly what it is. It's an organization I've started mm -hmm. um, that works across the Southern African region to defend free expression and to try and expand free expression, to make, mm -hmm. try and encourage everyone to have a voice in our society. Obviously, the issues in uh, neighboring countries and the rest of the region are often different to ours in mm -hmm. South Africa. But for me, the root of defending democracy mm -hmm. is to defend free speech. Because mm -hmm. if you have free speech, you can defend your other rights. Mm -hmm. If you don't have free speech, you can't exactly. defend the right to life and work and etc. Yeah. So for me, it's it's the route to expanding, not just defending, mm -hmm. but um, enriching and growing our democracy. Because mm -hmm. I think we know we live in a society where some people are very loud voices. We are a noisy, I yeah. call it a gazelle <laughs> democracy. Indeed. Um, but it's clear that some voices are very loud and others are not heard, less heard or not heard at all. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's a fault in democracy everywhere that we have to work to fix. Mm -hmm. um, so given the, the variety of uh, democracy and democratic governments within, within the region, what are the sort of uh, processes you, you, uh, put in, you, you adopt to, to try and encourage, perhaps say in a country like um, like Zimbabwe, which is notoriously undemocratic. I mean, what what we find ourselves needing to do is to help build coalitions, mm -hmm. local coalitions. Obviously, it's got to be driven by by um, um, local organisations and activists. Um, local coalitions that come together to fight these battles and our role is to give them regional support we're building mm -hmm. regional coalitions and i'll give you 
very interesting example we had in Botswana recently. Mm -hmm. And of course, we then plug into the global network of free expression organizations and activists. Mm -hmm. So it's certainly my experience that that kind of solidarity and support and coalition building is of fundamental importance. It varies from country to country. Sure. In Zimbabwe, you're fighting to keep journalists out of prison and alive. Yes. In Swaziland and Botswana, you, in Eswatini rather, you're, you're battling to create some space for independent journalism. They're not locking up journalists, but they have no space mm. or very little space in which to practice. So it varies. In South Africa, a lot of the work is much more constitutional law. Hmm. It's interesting. Um, my impression, um, strange and be, and then please correct me if I'm wrong, is that a place like United Kingdom is battling probably with more potential attacks on free speech than, than we would be. The, 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 the laws coming into place, the, the uh, I suppose the aggression in, at university, in universities towards dissenting views and dissenting opinions. I mean, these are obviously, we, we have these sort of issues, but there's a remarkable, I suppose, it's very strange that, that, that a British government would be seeking to, to make life really difficult and to put so much as, as, as a source of criminal law behind attempts at free speech. A lot of the countries we held up as examples mm -hmm. of the value and importance of free speech, the UK and the US uh, being the most prominent two, are unfortunately taking steps backwards. Mm. And the fight for free speech there is, uh, in the US, it's quite distorted, I think. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but to watch, for example, the US drop um, down, I think, into the 40s in mm. world standings on, on media freedom is startling, mm -hmm. absolutely startling. So this makes all our work difficult, mm. more difficult. There's no mm. question... That's some of the models. Fortunately, the, the um, Scandinavian countries remain excellent models for the power and value of free speech. Mm. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. And, and the, I suppose the one irony with that is that you, you, the Scandinavian countries are sort of are wealthy, successful, and supremely democratic, whereas the UK and, and the USA are a little more mixed perhaps because they are more mixed societies. But it's, it, to my mind, it's really been, um, it's, it's actually really been astonishing, to, astonishing to, to watch. Could I finally ask, what, what would your, how would you encourage a youngster who's thinking of doing journalism and trying to weigh up whether to go into, I don't know, uh, financial ba banking or investing, you know, something exotic and high earning? So I would say if you want to come to journalist, journalism, you, you know, it, it becomes a bit of a calling. Mm -hmm. uh, you have to be passionate about it. It's, it's, it's not something you do um, to get wealthy. You can make a living from it, but you're not going to, uh, or you're unlikely to get super rich. And you have to be curious. You have to be interested in the world and in people, whether it's on the sports field or the political field or the business field. Um, and I would say, go get yourself a first degree mm -hmm. uh, that gives you something to write about. It can be in law, economics, the humanities, whatever. It all enriches your thinking, and uh, and then and 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 then go into journalism mm -hmm. um, with with a, a degree in journalism. 
that will give you more of the technical and writing and related skills. So it's that combination you really need. Mm. But you do have to, and you do have to be, be prepared to enter a world that's going through enormous change mm -hmm. and uh, be able to grab and seek out the opportunities that that throws up. Okay, I think there are still people out there, um, despite uh, our, our, our concerns. And uh, Professor Anton Harbour, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you.